previously on Where There's Smoke. Well, Nick, we did it. 50 episodes. So relaxing, this beach vacation we've taken. Oh my gosh. We so needed a break. Uh, which is great because we're coming back in like three weeks and I still haven't written that show. That's so funny. So, <laughs> I love it. So that's, yeah. that's perfect. Um, but fuck, man. We did it! <laughs> Woo! <laughs> yes, we did. Who, Nick, who, Nick, who are all these people? I'll see you at the end of the show! Is there anyone who knows what Christmas spirit is all about? Roadhouse. We don't have to make this show. Literally, we could stop at any time. Here we go. <laughs> I'm like legitimately nervous, Brett. What? I'm like legitimately nervous. See you soon, Brett. <laughs> See you soon, Nick. Brett? Uh, Nick? I've been looking everywhere for you. We've got a show to do, and yet you're still here on this beach? We recorded that update, like, weeks ago. We've got a season premiere to get to, like, right now. <sighs> Look, Nick, I-, I gotta tell you, man. I mean, after we set up the season three premiere date, all of those familiar feelings started to creep in. Butterflies in my stomach that eventually turned into knots. Exhales that turned into sighs. Dread fear. I mean, I, I just wanted to, I felt like I just wanted to run for the hills. Brett, that's called stress. That's what happens when you don't start writing a show and then everything builds up. The best way to deal with stress is to just make a plan and just get your shit done. Well, I mean, that sounds easy enough and I might have thought something similar, but, but then I discovered Kelly McGonigal's latest book. You mean friend of the show, Kelly McGonigal? Yes. And her most recent book is called The Upside of Stress. And as soon as I saw that title, I knew I had to pick it up. And, and honestly, Nick, I mean, look at this. Look at my copy. I'm still reeling from this information Kelly compiled in it. I mean, highlights, pen marks, notes in the margins. Uh, okay, I mean, Brett, crazy. this isn't a real beach. Uh, it's a metaphorical one. And you know that I can't see it. Listeners can't see it. Okay, fine, fine. But as we head into season three, I think there are some very valuable lessons in this book for us. I mean, let me ask you a question. Okay, sure. Okay, what is one word that you would use to describe stress? Um, uh, that's easy. Bad. Bad, right? I mean, most people would probably say something in that vein. And, you know, that's partially true, Nick. But what if I told you that there was both good and bad stress? You know, we've been told that stress holds us back, isolates us, drains us. But what if it can also propel us forward, connect us with others, provide us with strength and energy? Okay, so so what you're saying is, is what if stress doesn't have to be our... Like our arch enemy, like yes. Lex Luthor, our Joker, or our Shredder. Exactly, and instead, stress could be one of the good guys, like an Avenger, an Autobot, or or a Ninja Turtle. Uh, like 80s era Ninja Turtle, or like Michael Bay Ninja Turtle, because that makes a huge difference. Well, I mean, I'd probably go with Eastman and Laird's original 1984 black and white comic. <coughs> Nerd. But I can live with the 1988 cartoon. Okay, well now you've got my attention, Brett. Welcome to Where There's Smoke, the show where we explore self-development through the lens of current events, pop culture, and experience. This week we ask, is stress really that bad? 
Kelly McGonigal, author of The Upside of Stress, joins us to unpack that question. And of course, we've got a fresh batch of WTS digs for you. My name is Brett Guida. And my name is Nick Jaworski. Let's start the show. Well, I suppose if we have any chance of changing your mind around stress, we might want to start with the person who changed mine. Hi, I'm Kelly McGonigal. I'm a health psychologist and lecturer at Stanford University. I'm a researcher who studies compassion and resilience, and uh, I am an expert in changing people's minds about stress. See, I, I am not an expert, but Kelly McGonigal, she is. She's been studying this for years. In 2013, she gave a TED Talk entitled How to Make Stress Your Friend that currently has over 12 million views. In 2015, she compiled a book entitled The Upside of Stress, which compiled hundreds of studies into a convincing case and user guide on why stress is good for you and how we can get good at it. Because here's the first thing you need to understand and accept, and I need you to listen very carefully. There is no stress-free version of your life. You're describing one of the core reasons why I wrote the book. We know from the research on uh, stress mindset, how people think about stress, that people who view stress as a toxic state that should be avoided are more likely to believe that there is some version of themselves and their lives out there that could be full of meaning and joy and learning and purpose and connection and all the things that we value and also be stress-free. Because if you were good enough at life, if you just got life right, you could have all those things and you wouldn't experience stress. There is no such thing as a stress-free version of your life. When you feel stress, you are not a failure. You are a human being. Stress, it comes with the territory. And you know what? It's a good thing because you might not enjoy the alternative. The opposite of stress is, you know, stage one, depression, stage two, coma. Stage three, death. As Hans Selye says, the complete absence of stress is death. So if door number one is stress and door number two is death, which would you pick? Now, you might be thinking, well, this feels like picking between the lesser of two evils. I don't want to pick either. However, as is often the situation, in this case, our perceptions have been swayed. Wrong. We've been brainwashed by life, experience, wrong, education, and media to believe that stress is the equivalent of death. Wrong. When it is actually essential to life. So before we talk about the upside of stress, I feel like we need to zoom out. How did we get here? You know, why is it that so many people believe that stress is only toxic? It's a very big question. And of course, there's a whole stress reduction industry that, that survives uh, on our fear of stress and the, the unrealistic hope that, that lives can be stress-free. Um, so sort of, I'll put aside that, sort of the fact that there's so many people who, who make their living trying to convince you it's possible to have a stress-free life and that you're screwed up because your life is stressful. Okay. So number one, it's good business. I mean, that makes sense. We are being sold things all day long, 
every day. And it is no secret that many companies care a lot more about their bottom line than they do about you. So that's the obvious answer. And maybe we can tackle that in a future episode. But there is another less obvious scientific answer. But from, as a scientist, you know, I'm really interested in, in looking at the scientific evidence. And of course, when it comes to stress, you can find evidence for anything you want, the harms of stress and the benefits of stress. But I think the reason that most people are only aware of one side of the science um, is because of two main theories or bodies of research that have just dominated the media and, and the field of medicine and our modern understanding of stress. You know, they both come from uh, studies of non-human animals. I mentioned Hans Selye. He was the first scientist to coin the term stress in pretty much every language, stress, der stress, el stress, low stress, and of course, stress. Uh, and he, um, he came to his definition of stress by basically torturing lab rats. Wait, what? <laughs> I know, right? You're going to have to explain that a little bit. Okay, well... As Kelly described in our conversation, Han Selye's research was basically torturing lab rats day after day. Extreme temperatures, painful injections, Ow, quit it. extended hunger, oh, the hunger, and overexertion. And he found that no matter the torture, if you torture them enough, their immune system starts to decline. They get sick, and then they either die or he would kill them so he could open them up and see how sick the stress had made them. And when Selye looked at these sick rats he was left with, they kind of reminded him of dying patients he had seen in the hospital. And with that, he had a thought. Hmm, maybe what I'm doing to the rats is a really good analogy for what life does to humans. And that story has become our scientific understanding of stress. Basically, that stress is killing us. And he came up with this idea that no matter what happens to you in life, uh, if it requires you to change or respond in any way at all, it's going to produce a certain biological response that when chronic, when consistent, just drains you of sort of positive life energy. Uh, and he you know, described that as exhaustion and ultimately as stress syndrome. Now, he never studied humans. He never went out and asked people to talk about their stress. Uh, this was really an analogy that he made based on rat studies. And when you look at how the field of modern medicine has moved forward in studying stress, there's a lot of research done on non-human animals in a way that I think sets us up to misunderstand human stress. Just wait a minute. Yes? So our understanding of stress is based on a story that this Cellier guy made up where he just substituted our everyday human experiences for the experiences of rats being subjected to torture. Tonight, the role of your everyday life will be played by rats being subjected to various forms of torture. Exactly. I mean, to put it another way, using these rats' experiences to quantify the impact of stress on human life it's kind of like interviewing John McClain after Nakatomi Plaza to see how people feel about holiday parties. Welcome to the party, pal! And this line of reasoning in the scientific study of stress, it is still prevalent. In fact, Kelly mentioned in our conversation that she had just read a study from September of this year in molecular psychiatry. It is titled, um, okay, let me see if I can get this. 
transglutaminase 2 overexpression induces depressive-like behavior and impaired TRKB signaling in mice. Or, in words we all understand, chronic stress affects the brain in a way that increases your risk of depression. And again, this is a study on non-human subjects, rodents, who are subjected to, quote, stress that was meant to mimic chronic stress in human life. Now, Nick, I don't know what yours or our listeners' human life looks like, but here's what the rodents were subjected to over and over, hour after hour, day after day. Food and water deprivation, confinement, light-dark exposure that mechs with their circadian rhythms, four swims until they started to drown, and then other times in the day they were hung upside down by their tail and forced to try and escape with no chance of succeeding. And then the press release said, you know, so this is what chronic stress will do to you. And I, I have to point out that so many of the studies that show that stress always leads to the kind of harmful outcomes we fear, whether it's depression or heart disease or negative changes in the brain you know, uh, poor immune functioning. Most of those studies are using this kind of uh, proxy for stress. And some people's lives are like that. Certainly if you are imprisoned in some ways, if you are living in perhaps uh, an abusive relationship as a child or as a partner, there are situations that are like this, but it's not what most people mean when they say work is stressful or my life is stressful. These studies are looking at stress without meaning, without social companionship, without choice, without any hope for change, and without any control over the situation. That's that's not stress with a capital S, that's suffering with a capital S. And I think that unfortunately, when you read a headline that says stress will make you sick or stress will do whatever, they very rarely point out just how stressed out these subjects were. And so not only have we been sold this extreme version of stress, one that doesn't really correlate with most of our own experiences. But we've also been sold this idea that it is the stress and the stress alone that is killing us. But the truth is we have a big role in creating it. And if we can create it, that means we can change it. In her TED Talk, How to Make Stress Your Friend, Kelly introduces a study which first caused her to rethink her approach to stress. The study took place over eight years and asked 30,000 adults in the U.S. two questions. How much stress have you experienced in the last year? And do you believe that stress is harmful to your health? Then they used public death records to find out who died and when. Here is Kelly sharing the results in her talk. Okay, some bad news first. People who experienced a lot of stress in the previous year had a 43% increased risk of dying. But that was only true for the people who also believed that stress is harmful for your health. People who experienced a lot of stress but did not view stress as harmful were no more likely to die. In fact, they had the lowest risk of dying of anyone in the study, including people who had relatively little stress. Now, the researchers estimated that over the eight years they were tracking deaths, 182,000 Americans died prematurely, not from stress, but from the belief that stress is bad for you. <laughs> That is over 20,000 deaths a year. 
Kelly goes on to suggest that if that estimate is correct, if over eight years, 182,000 Americans died prematurely, not from stress, but from the belief that stress is bad for you, then believing stress is bad for you is the 15th largest cause of death in the United States. So the best approach to managing stress isn't to reduce or avoid it, but rather rethink and even embrace it. This is the mindset effect of stress. Stress is, by definition, it is a, a biological response to thoughts and feelings and perceptions in the world. And so if you believe that stress is harmful, you actually, even if you don't know it, you already believe in the mindset effect. You believe that your thoughts and your emotions and your perceptions shape your biological reality. You see, the fact that you already believe that stress harms you means that you already believe in the connection between what you think and what you feel. And it is what you choose to think that triggers the stress response you take. Now, most people associate stress with just one response, fight or flight. But there are many stress responses that can produce positive benefits. For example, there's the tend and befriend response. This response increases your courage and it motivates you to protect the people and the communities that you care about. There's also the challenge response, which athletes are very familiar with. This response enhances our mental and physical resources. We hear better, move faster, think quicker, resulting in increased confidence, concentration, and peak performance. And it turns out that how you think about stress actually alters the reality of your stress response, including what type and ratio of stress hormones you release when you're stressed out, including what emotions you experience under stress, whether it's despair or hope, whether it's anger or empathy. Uh, and so the stress mindset effect basically says, in moments of stress, there are things you can place your attention on, there are things you can remember or things you can think about that actually begin to shift what's happening in your brain and body into a, a place that better serves you uh, and can help protect you from some of the effects that we fear around stress. Okay, sounds great, but how? How do we do that? When I am engaged in an event and start having a fight or flight response like a tortured rodent, how do I shift my mindset? Well, it starts by being connected to it, by being mindful, paying full attention, practicing acceptance and curiosity rather than resisting or distracting yourself. Remember, there is no stress-free version of the experience you are in. And while resistance is futile, transformation is possible. For example, if you are feeling anxious and nervous before a presentation, don't tell yourself, okay, okay, I need to calm down. If I don't calm down, I'm going to blow it. That's buying into the idea that stress is bad for you. Instead, just focus on your pounding heart and get excited about all that blood and adrenaline that is helping your body rise to the challenge. Your body is responding, not because you are overwhelmed, but because you care and you're excited. To quote Robert Frost, as we have done before on this show, the best way out is always through. The solution is not to avoid the stress, it is to transform it. Autobots, transform! 
And it's sometimes uh, referred to in Buddhist philosophy and practices as tonglen, that you can take something in and transform it into something better through your intention and through uh, your attention, basically through your mind and your heart, that you can transform even suffering into something that you might value, like personal growth and kindness and wisdom. And Kelly even provides us with a simple and practical way to do this. One of the most useful ways to begin to transform stress is to begin to pay attention to when you're feeling stressed, to start to notice what that's like in your body, the common emotions or thoughts you have, like this is too much, I can't handle this, or whatever sort of your stress habitual responses are. And to begin to ask yourself, why do I care? Who do I care about? And what do I care about? Studies show that if in moments of stress, like literally when you're freaking out or panicking or overwhelmed, or right before you go into a situation that you anticipate will be stressful, like a difficult conversation that you have to have, if you think about your core values, the the roles, the relationships that are most important to you, like literally who, what do you care about? Why do you care? That it begins to transform stress. Why do I care? Who do I care about? What do I care about? Three questions that help you check into your values. And as studies in the upside of stress show, when you reflect on your values, the story you tell yourself about stress shifts. In Kelly's words, remembering your values can help you transform stress from something that is happening against your will and outside your control to something that invites you to honor and deepen your priorities. That is what this book ultimately is about, is about the human capacity to find meaning and make meaning and strengthen communities and be better versions of ourselves through the very situations that we might want to avoid. But I think that, you know, if there was, if there were something I could communicate, it is this idea that whatever you're going through, whether it's minor stresses or the worst type of stress that a human being can experience, that it isn't because you are screwed up and doing life wrong. And you also are not the only one going through it. That whatever type of stress a human can experience, it's part of common humanity. And that we are incredibly blessed to have through evolution and whatever, however else we got it, capacities as human beings to come together, to grow and learn and become resilient. And uh, that's what this book is about, to tap into those capacities that human beings have. Okay, that's all great, Brett, but um, we still have to, like, write and edit this show. <laughs> Nick, the show's done. What do you mean the show is done? We just did it. Didn't you hear it? No. Oh, you know what it was, Nick? This is, it, it felt different. You know how normally we're, like, focused on kind of the bad stuff, we're worried, we're procrastinating? Well, this time it was different. We were connected, we were focused. It was, it was like we were enjoying the stress of it. Oh, okay, fine, fine, great. Stress equals not bad, got it. Well, great. Show's done. Done! But, um, if the show's done already, then why are we still on this beach? 
I don't know, Nick. Why are we still on this beach? Metaphor Beach. Before I thank Kelly McGonagall for her generosity, I want to highly encourage those of you listening who struggle with stress to read The Upside of Stress. This episode is just a primer, really. For most of us, changing our relationship with stress is a paradigm shift. We've been brainwashed, but through education and practice, you can change your mind. And as we said, through changing your mind, you can change your experience. But it's not going to happen through osmosis. You know, it's not going to happen by just listening to this podcast. You need to put in some work. And I think the book is a great guide. And so thank you, Kelly McGonigal. We've been fortunate enough to have you on the show twice now. And both times you have been impactful, educational, and fun. If you want to learn more about Kelly and stay connected to her work, you can go to kellymcgonigal.com. She's also very active on Twitter, which is at Kelly McGonigal. Both are spelt K-E-L-L-Y-M-C-G-O-N-I-G-A-L. Everybody, welcome to Digs. This is the part of the show, of course, where Brett and I share the things that we love, the things that we probably more than like, but the things that make us happy, the things that make us cry, the things that make us excited. Uh, these are just the things that we love and want to share with you. So uh, we did about 20 digs, I guess 21 digs uh, back in August, early September, I guess. And uh, we're ready to give you a fresh new dig right now. Brett, what do you got? Yes, Nick. All right. This is exciting. So my dig is musician Justin Johnson, uh, specifically his Facebook page or his YouTube channel. He does have a few albums, but you want to start by watching some of his videos. And right now, Nick, like right now, you're going to put some music behind me. And that is him actually playing a shovel. Okay, yes, a shovel made from a guitar. You can also see him playing a one-string skeleton guitar, a cigar box guitar, an oil can guitar. And what's really cool about these videos, Nick, and this whole thing is that it's not just gimmicks, that there's history here, that um, you know, oil can guitars were created by street musicians in South Africa who couldn't access traditional instruments. Cigar box guitars go back to the 1800s in, in America by people living in poverty who couldn't afford real instruments. They were also then kind of had a resurgence during the Depression. And even during Justin Johnson's debut album in 2014, he actually played eight of the oldest cigar box guitars and banjos known to exist. So Ooh. on top of being an incredible slide guitarist, there's this history and these instruments. And and so anyways, Nick, as you're kind of getting from my, my, my specificity here, there's a lot going on. A friend of mine posted the shovel guitar video probably about a week ago, and it sent me down a rabbit hole of just <laughs> his videos and music and history. And I was so jazzed. And his albums were actually the soundtrack while I worked on the next episode of Where the Smoke as I was writing it. So my dig is is Justin Johnson. Specifically, check out his Facebook or his YouTube. Uh, definitely have your first exposure to him. Be one of his beautifully shot live videos before you listen to his records. Uh, it's amazing. So, what about you, Nick? What are you digging? Well, actually, that's interesting. I think there is a, a connection maybe between, uh, is it Justin Johnson? That's his name? Correct. And, and my dig. So, uh, I'm recommending, and I'll get there, I'm recommending a YouTube channel 
They release, or he releases, I guess, a new recipe every other Tuesday or so. The channel is called You Suck at Cooking. You suck at cooking, yeah, you totally suck. And um, what's interesting to me is that, first, the host is just, he's hilarious. Um, but we don't actually know who he is because you only see his hands. And he's done about 50, about 50 videos. We've never seen his face. I think um, most people online think that he's Canadian, though. So good job, Brett. And... Um, on top of that, rather than just doing a recipe where he goes, hey, take a take one egg and a cup of milk and sugar, whatever, he um, tells the story of this recipe in these sort of interesting and fun ways. So uh, he could be telling you calmly how to make granola. And we're adhering to the 100-mile diet here. I got this maple syrup from a farm 10 miles away from here and the coconut oil from a grocery store only half a mile away from here. <laughs> or... Rapping about how to make French fries. Lay your fries in with some oil to make them wetter. Add some salt in the container in your bag. A bit of pepper, pepper, pepper. Time to wrestle them, but don't be over hassling. You can take your timer. You can do it turbo fastling. You can give a spin and use your fingers. Or showing you the importance of letting your eggs say goodbye to each other. You know something, John? Yeah, Douglas. That was one of the best nights of my goddamn life. That's all I wanted to hear, man. I'm not afraid anymore. It was like magic. Like Mind Freak. Uh, I don't know if I'd say magic, but you should. And um, that last one, though, Brett, like, seriously, like, he takes these eggs and he stop motion animates them. Oh my and gosh. he's created this whole epic series about these two eggs who fake their death and then run from the egg police. And uh, it involves deceit and trampolines. And I don't want to say too much, but it's weird and crazy and fun. And the reason I love this, uh, this channel is because... Uh, Brett, you liked uh, Homestar Runner, right? Oh, man, I loved Homestar Runner. I still love Homestar yeah, Runner. It's great. And and what I really like about this series is that, you know, he's just using, like, recipes and cooking as a way just to create, like, a universe. And so, like, over time, he's built up characters and themes and types of episodes. And it, it's, like, really exciting to see, like, an artist just kind of, like, do what they want. And it has a very specific voice. So, um, yeah, so I, I just love it so much. I've been waiting, I think, three months to share this dig. We did those 21 digs a couple, like a month ago, and I was like, no, you suck at cooking is the one I want to share with everybody. <laughs> uh, he was on The Tonight Show with Fallon. Like, they they played a clip of his a couple, like a month ago or so. So, it's great. You suck cooking. I sent a video to Brett, which I never do, just so he had a sense of what it was. Did you enjoy that? I did, Nick, and, and I was going to say, you did. You've, we've never done that. We've never actually let each other know a dig beforehand. <laughs> I'm not sure why you did it, but I enjoyed it, and it was interesting because when I watched it, it was the one where he's making granola, and it kind of reminded me of J.P. Sears' videos. You know, he kind of mimics kind of some of that, that world, and I'm like, oh, he's doing that, but then I realized what you were talking about. I clicked on a couple other videos, and I realized, oh, Every video is different, like the, how he's doing the video and the characters he's doing and kind of the, the, the kind of inside jokes he's making, they're all relevant to the plot almost, right, of the yes. recipe and the link. And, <laughs> and so I didn't watch many more than the one you sent me, but I clicked on a few of them and I kind of got that gist of, oh, okay, I see what's going on here. So I know you've been holding on to this for months, I so I'm very excited you got to share it. Um, <laughs> so those are our two digs for the week, everyone. As always, we want to know what you're digging. So if you want to post something on our Facebook page or hit us up on Twitter or email us or anything, we love learning about and being exposed to new things. So please, please do that. And uh, you know, we'll be back next week with another dig. Thanks. Thanks. 
Thank you to everyone who listened to this episode, to all our longtime listeners who didn't forget about us, and to all those who have recently discovered us. We still can't believe this is episode 51, and we are looking forward to a fantastic season three. A huge shout out to all of our Patreon supporters. Your support has made this season three possible. We promise to honor it with more hard work and focus. And if you want to be a part of the amazing group that really helps to make this happen, please go to supportwts.com and become a financial backer of the show. For those of you new to the show or maybe have forgotten, this is a place where we do shout outs to people who leave us iTunes reviews, share about the show on social media, or write us awesome emails. So for example, we might say thanks to Jaren H. from Australia who titled her review, Love, 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 and gave us five stars. Or Rochelle Rose from Canada who called the show Thought Provocative Ear Candy. Or Sophie Best from the USA who said WTS is everything you could want. You could hear your name here next week if you go to iTunes and give us a review. Already reviewed the show? Well, first off, thank you so much. Secondly, you can also give us a shout out on social media, like at Nicole Daw, who not only shared the show in a tweet, but also featured us in a couple of her blog posts. Or at Billy Poggy, at Ash Woods, at Cat underscore Drex, at Erica Newport, Joe Osborne in the UK, and Diana Potts. Just a few people who tweeted about us in the past few months. To stay in tune with all things WTS, including special announcements on upcoming shows and events, follow us on Twitter, at Explore WTS. Join our Facebook page and join our newsletter by going to our website, where there's smoke.co. The WTS theme song was written and recorded by Des McKinney and remixed by Nick Jaworski. Speaking of Nick, what other musical artists were featured in this show? All right, this week we have music from David Seste, Blue Dot Sessions, Mads, Dennis Brown, and believe it or not, Chuck Lorre, and that's the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles theme. And of course, our friend, Kevin McLeod. Where There's Smoke is a Brett Guida and Nick Jaworski production. If you are interested in having me speak, train, or coach at an event within your company or an organization, send an email to brett at wherethersmoke.co. And if you have a podcast or audio project that you want to sound awesome, check out Nick's company at podcastmonster.com. And finally, we recently tweeted out a list of WTS listenership by country and got some love back from our number five country, Germany. So, Nico Schubert and Sacha Mazze, this goes out to you. Hey, it's Kumbi, Hero Turtles, Super Striker, Hero Turtles, Nina County, Hero Turtles, Himalaya. Thanks for listening. We love you. We'll see you next week. Und immer etwas schlauer. <lacht>